We're in our Easter series. I've been working through three sermons. This will be the third called Easter and Why It Matters. And I'll just tell you, we're in a generation of people that don't get that at all. We've literally had a whole generation of people come up underneath my generation um, that we haven't done a good job of explaining the incredible importance of Easter. It's all about bunnies and all that kind of stuff. I was noticing last night when I was uh, waiting on Josh to get off work down at Old Navy, they've got a sign out in front of Old Navy that talks about the bunny. It's all about the bunny and, uh, and new clothes for Easter. It's all about the bunny to them. Uh, there's no mention of the resurrection of Christ or the death of Christ or anything to do with real Easter, the real story of Easter. So my heart's desire is that the core of our church family who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we would communicate to people the real meaning of Easter. The real meaning of Easter. And, and we talked about this. Uh, we started by talking about Easter is, is a story of forgiveness. And that was the first week. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But the message on forgiveness, Jesus, the very first thing he did from the cross on his very worst day, talked all about the beating he had taken, the rejection, the shame, the abuse that had come into his life that day. And the very first thing he said from the cross, while his arms were suspended by nails that were rubbing on the bones in his arms and the bones in his feet, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he offered forgiveness for us and then died for our forgiveness. So Easter's about forgiveness, and that's why it matters. Because you can be forgiven of anything you've ever done. That's what grace is. And then you can forgive others, which is even important to your earthly existence here. If you want to live a joyful life, you can't harbor bitterness. And you need to forgive others. And the cross teaches both of those can happen. Jesus modeled forgiveness from the very cross. So the second thing we talk about is this message from last week is when he actually promised the future to a thief. guy hanging next to him is an absolute thief. We even talked about he's a bad thief because he got caught. He's not made a whole lot of good choices. Um, His choices have led to an execution Roman style, a brutal, painful, horrible execution. And he just happened to end up being executed on the same day as Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, Messiah, Savior. And Jesus is on his side and he actually eventually connects the dots and realizes before he was cursing Jesus in the early part of the crucifixion and later he realizes, wait a minute. Something's different about this guy. He's not guilty, and he has a kingdom. And so he just asked Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? The Easter story teaches us that we all have the opportunity to have a future in heaven with God. We have an opportunity to have a future with God. Because a thief who'd done nothing right his whole life was offered grace right at that last minute, few minutes of his life. And the smartest thing he ever did was acknowledge Jesus to be the king of the kingdom and the one who could help him. And he turned to him and said, would you just remember me? And then Jesus says these words. Man, I love these words. Jesus looks at a thief. Max Lucado says a flat-nosed thug. He's hanging there in tremendous pain. And Jesus looks at him and says, this day, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Man, that guy's life changed dramatically from that point on. You know, he suffered and died. They're going to come break his legs, horrible, racking pain. And he's going to stop breathing on the cross because you can't expel air from the cross. It's how it's designed to kill you is you, get, you can't breathe out, but you, you gasp in and you can't breathe out. 
He's going to die a very painful death over the next few hours. And then he's going to be with Jesus in paradise forever. So Easter teaches us that grace is real and your future can be very secure. No matter what your past is, your future is very secure. It also teaches us, today's message is that you, you can literally have a friendship with God. A friendship with God. Friendships come in all shapes and sizes. And uh, I've been privileged to have just tons of really good and sweet and wonderful friends in my lifetime. I've, I've, I've had some great friends. I was thinking uh, just yesterday when I was in here working, uh, my wife and I many, 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 many years ago uh, in the early 80s, uh, got married right here at this altar. It was orange carpet back then. How many of you remember the orange carpet? Yep, got a couple of old-timers. And uh, blaze orange, like really bad orange shag carpet and orange pews. We have photos we can show you sometime. And uh, we, we stood right here and got married. And my best friend at that time was a guy named Philip Snodgrass. And he stood uh, as my best man. He handed the ring to Jim Rayford, the pastor. We'd asked to do our wedding. And Jim Rayford put that ring in my hand. And I put that ring on her hand. And now she's stuck here. She can't go anywhere. <clears throat> but Phil was right there by me at that time. We had been through high school together. We had spent four years at, at U- University Military School and grown up in high school and had tremendous, tremendous time of spiritual fellowship in an ungodly school. And he had been an inspiration to me and helped me keep my faith in all that time. And we just became really great friends. We went away to college together. We both ended up in Birmingham in college. He was at Sanford University and I was at Southeastern Bible College. They were six miles from each other. And uh, so we hung out some together in college. I'd go hang out at his dorm. He'd hang out with mine. And I met his friends. He met my friends. But eventually, our paths shifted. And he ended up back in Mobile, became a police officer, and served in the police force here as well as with the Coast Guard um, Reserves. He has recently retired from all of that. If you've ever been arrested by Phil Snodgrass, he was my best friend. And you shouldn't have done wrong. So... But he was a great officer here supporting our community and loving everybody. And then he had his Coast Guard time. He retired out of that. And God called him back to his original roots of being a pastor. And he's the pastor of Midway Baptist Church in Loosedale, Mississippi. Even today, he's, he's preaching the gospel at his church. And he's, my, he's one of my best friends. We meet every Monday. Uh, when I came back to Mobile, I looked him up and I said, man, we got to get back together. Then he was just about to retire and then he retired. And then the Lord called him to that church and he goes, oh yeah, we need to get together. All right. You've been doing this a long time and I'm learning. And so we, we sit at lunch together uh, almost every Monday and, and, and talk bad about our church. I mean, talk about our churches and, <laughs> and uh, share, share our fellowship with each other and just grow in grace. And he was a friend for a long time. We got separated for a long time. We probably didn't see each other five or six times at different weird events or just bumping into each other over 20-something years. But best friends were just best friends, you know. They just hang out and they work through their stuff and make it happen. Then I have friends who I think are friends, but they're not really friends. Uh, I've been in ministry since I was 18 years old, 17 years old. I received a call to ministry at this very altar and uh, at about 18 years old, when I got in Bible college, they plug you into a church when you get up there. And I started being a youth pastor. And uh, I've been a youth pastor ever since and, and working with kids and youth and college and adults and all you big grown-up babies out here. I, I mean, uh, adults. And so, so I've been doing ministry a long time. And here's what, a couple things I've learned in ministry. I've learned that friends aren't always friends in the body of Christ. There are people who go around behind your back. And work angles and play political power struggles 
towards you who love them, and I'm trying to shepherd and care for them, and all of a sudden there's this, where did all that come from? And there are these lies being spun around, and I'm going, I thought we were friends. You know, and then here's the weird one. I have, I've had people over the years probably, I was trying to think, I, I could name five or six, I know, maybe more, people that come up to me and say things like this. I don't know if you've ever had this at work or something. Probably some of you have. You know, when you first came here, I didn't like you at all. Man, that's touching. Thank you for sharing that. It just makes me feel so good. How are we doing now? Well, I'm working on it, you know. I'm working on it. And I've had people tell me, you know, I didn't used to like you. Well, I thought they did. You know, they were doing such a good job of pretending to like me or pretending to get along that I thought they liked me, but they were actually sort of, you know, antagonistic. Like, oh, man, I'll be glad when that guy's gone. And then I've had people decide it's time for me to go and rally the troops and try to get me to go. You know, and all my churches I've served at, I've had people that didn't like something I said or did. And pretty soon I'm in a committee meeting or a meeting where I'm having to explain choices I made and decisions I made and trying to justify them. And then all of a sudden I'm in, you know, I'm, you know, going, well, we'll be packing some boxes now. Okay. You know, Lord, what's going on here? And I've had some of those issues happen. Now, every church I've ever been in, thank God, all three of them, I've been able to work through those issues because I felt called there and, we, and I was able to stay there and the people that were struggling with me just decided they couldn't handle me and left. And I was going, man, am I that bad? I mean, I know I'm not charming or anything, but great stars, am I that bad? So it's interesting. Friendships come in all varieties and we misread things a lot of times. We, we assume some things in friendships that aren't always true. Now I want you to see this verse in John 19. This is We always start at the cross in this series. I'd like you to see what Jesus said from the very cross where nails are rubbing against the bone and his body is just ripped to shreds from the beating he took. The very last thing he said, he, he asked for something to drink. They give him something to drink. When he received the sour wine, he said, in the Greek it's the word tetelestai, it is finished. And he bowed his head. doesn't mean his head bowed like he just slumped and died. It literally means he chose to lay his head down himself. And the Bible says he was going to choose the time of his death. You know, no man took Jesus' life. He suffered on that cross. And he pillowed his head on his shoulder. And he gave up his spirit to surrender it, by the way, for us and God. You'll see that real clear. So from the very cross, Jesus declares a statement that something's finished. Something's finished. Now, I need you to know what he finished because it's very, very important. The most important thing you're going to figure out in your whole life is what Jesus finished on that cross. And this is what I want you to see. So we're going to turn to Colossians. I want you to understand this. Once, everybody in here, myself included, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've known the Lord for a long time, that's fine. But once, we were all aliens strangers and hostile and enemies of God. Everybody in this room used to be that way. Everybody. Just how we're born, by the way. But they're alienated from... from we're all alienated from God and we're hostile. Now, so Easter was important because once we were... Colossians one twenty one, the Apostle Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds... And it says we were alienated from God, we were hostile in our minds toward Him, and we're doing evil deeds. That word alienated is really needed. It says we're foreigners, we're outsiders, we're outsiders. 
You ever been in an event that you knew you didn't belong at? You've ever been an outsider to an event? And you realize when you were there, nobody I don't know anybody here, and nobody knows me. And a lot of these people do know each other. They get along great. In Birmingham at the church I served there, a pastor came to me and said, Hey, Mr. So-and-so, long-time good member of our church, one of his best friends has passed away. Doesn't go to our church, but he'd like us to go to the funeral and just drop in. I said, man, that'd be fun. I'd love to. It'd be great. You know, do that and go get some dinner or something. So he and I decide we're going to go to the funeral. And the problem is we were having some very important meetings at church. And we had to tell him, hey, we're going to get there right as the service is starting. Maybe a few minutes late. But we're coming. We're coming to that funeral. So we go blitzing out of the parking lot on two wheels after our meetings ended. And we drive to the funeral home that that we went to. And we pull in and we go in and we go straight to the little chapel. And we ease in the back. And there's only like... 25 people in there and uh, so we just kind of ease up you know you've been to a funeral in the back and you just kind of come up the back and sit down and quiet and you know somebody's already sharing some things and there's some tears and all this stuff and there's a special song and it's really beautiful and then at the end it was time to go pastor prays a prayer and the way funerals typically work the family stands up and the coffin goes down the center aisle and the family comes out and so our job as pastors was to let him know hey we're here for you we're right here we're standing in that center aisle, you know, waiting for him to go by and us just to give him a, we're praying for you and the family, you know. He never went by. And he wasn't in any of the pews. We went to the wrong funeral. So we were in completely the wrong funeral home, by the way. I mean, we sat and watched this funeral and everything. Had a great time, like, you know, I don't think he's here. And come to find out, you know, the person, we didn't know that, we really didn't remember the name of the person, but we thought we knew the funeral home because we were, you know, all smart and everything. But we were just, we were, and you talk about a family that's trying to figure us out now. When they're walking down that aisle, they know, there's only like 20 people in the room, and they know everybody knows everybody except us. We're all dressed real nice there, and they're going, I don't know y'all. And they're going, yeah, we don't know. Wow, we're in the wrong room. It's good to see you. know, we're sorry for your loss. That's kind of how we did. We're sorry for y'all's loss. And, you know, we tried to look like we belonged to a funeral home at that point. So, but... <clears throat> If you've ever been in a situation where you're an alien, here's what the Bible says about us. We don't belong with God or His family. We, when we're born, before we know Christ, we are aliens to God. We do not belong with Him. We don't belong in His family. We're we're literally alienated from Him. And we're hostile outsiders. We're hostile in our mind, which means hateful and adversarial. I don't know if you've ever been actual mentally adversarial towards God, but most of us that are all grown up now, you've had your bouts with God. You've had your words with God. You've fussed at God about something that's happening or going on or something that's got you troubled. We can be hostile towards God in our minds, doing evil deeds. Ephesians 4 says it this way. Now this I say to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, those who are not of the body of Christ, those outsiders, In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. So here's what Paul says about before you knew Christ, you were not just alienated from God. You don't belong with him at all. You don't fit in in his crowd at all. You're also ignorant. Or as we say down south, ignorant. Ignorant. Okay, you're just ignorant. It's a room full of ignorant people. And by the way, you know, everybody's going, man, this is supposed to be a happy Easter message. What, what in the world? How did we show up at this church? But I'm telling you, it's important that you get this. This is one of the most important things about Easter, is you understand before you ever knew Christ, you were not part of the family. 
You were alienated and ignorant. Philippians 3 says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even, Paul says, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is in their bellies, and their glory is in their shame. With minds, their minds are set on earthly things. Paul says people that are focused about their stuff and their things and their world and, and all of this, their minds set on all that, they're enemies of the cross. That's a strong word, enemies of the cross. Not like, hey, I just don't like that stuff. Let's not talk about that. Paul says, no, if you're all caught up in worldly stuff, you're an enemy of the cross. See, the Bible talks about sinners in all kinds of terminology. Sinners are people who disobey God. There's not one person in this room that's not a sinner. Now, you may be a a recovering sinner like I am. You may be trying to get your life back together and trusted in Christ, your Lord and Savior. So you're also a saint... Like the Apostle Paul calls the Corinthian church saints. But then Paul himself says, I'm the chief of all sinners. So I'm a sinner and a saint. I'm just a recovering sinner. I'm trying really hard, really hard to get that completely out of my system by obeying the Spirit of God. But everybody in this room is a sinner. The difference is some of us have trusted in Christ and we have an eternal promise. The rest of us who don't know Christ our Lord and Savior, you're an enemy of the cross. You're an enemy of the cross. And we get all this God is love, God is love, God is love stuff going. And I'm, yeah, I'm the leader of preaching on grace. I'm the leader of that. I will stand with that charge all the time. Okay, God's full of grace and mercy. You'll see that at the end here in just a few minutes. You're going to see that. But he's also just. God is very just. And his righteousness and his justice demands that sin have to be paid for. Sins have to be paid for. And there's this whole phrase we've used. I'm working on a series of statements that our culture has decided to make that they think God said or they think God thinks and he doesn't. Let me tell you what one of them is. Sorry if it rattles you. Just meant to rattle you today. God's trying to get your attention. We have this statement that says he loves the sinner but hates the sin. That's not accurate. I can find 10 places in the first 14 chapters of Psalms where he says he hates sinners. He hates sinners. He hates them. They're his enemy, by the way. He abhors people who sin against him. Well, I thought he was all loving. He is. Just for fun. How many of you are parents? How many of you have kids? All right, now, now this is a very important question. Okay, all, all you parents. Let me do this. Can you just stand? I know you all tired because you're parents, but can you all just stand as parents? Proud of you, by the way. Good to have you all. <laughs> okay? As parents, now, here, this, this way I can separate the... Sheep from the goats. No, the parents from the rest of you, right? So some parents not standing, but it's okay. If you're a parent, it's a, it, here's what I want you to do. If you've loved and hated your child in the same breath almost, would you just hold these hands up like that? You just love them and you go, I just love your little sticker, right? Sit down. Why is it we can't give God a little freedom there? Well, God can't hate sinners. Yes. When your child sins against you, Your child that you love, that you would throw yourself in front of a bus to keep from him being harmed. You love your child. You would sacrifice everything for him. But when he's disobedient, you're going to throw yourself in front of the bus right after you get your hands wrapped around his throat. Right? You're like, what is wrong with you? I got three. I get that. You should meet mine sometime. Good gracious. I'm talking about you, Caleb. See, I got two good ones that sit on the front row. And they got this rebellious drummer that's in the back back there. 
<laughs> but we always tell, we always say God loves the sinner and hates the sin. He hates sin and sinners. It's all through the Bible. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you in a few months. And it, it, you, that message will help you communicate with people in this culture that they're thinking wrong. You have to get God to love you through Jesus. That's the way he's going to love you. Because Jesus is righteous. He is full of righteousness. Look at James chapter 4. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. If you befriend the world and the system of the world and the things of the world, you're an enemy of God. That means you and God aren't getting along, by the way. You know, I've told you, I have people come up to me and go, you know, I never have really liked you. I didn't know we weren't getting along. Some of you today may be going, well, I've always known God hates me. <laughs> I've always known he's my enemy. I mean, I've always known that. You may think that way. I'm going to change your thinking in certain ways. But I know some of you are thinking, well, God's always loved me. I'm, I'm just a lovable person. Why would God hate me? If we're sinners that love the world, if we're sinners that love the world, God's not on your page. By the way, you're not in his family. You're alienated and estranged from him. You're separated from him. And you're going to live in eternal separation from him if you don't fix that before you meet him. That's how that works. Okay, God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. We have to keep teaching that truth. That has to be solid. There's tons of churches out there on Easter Sunday. They're going to try to make it sound like God just loves, loves, loves. And everybody's just loved, loved, loved. And all you got to do is just love, love, love. And it's going to sound like a Beatles song at some point. <laughs> I grew up in that generation. I get that. You know, all you need is love. No. You need a Savior and you need a repentance of your own heart. And the Savior is going to have to do a work that's going to blow your mind. Because you're an enemy of God. And somebody has to reconcile you back to God. Somebody has to fix that which is broken in the relationship. Somebody's got to fix that. And by the way, you can't fix it. Nothing in you is good enough to reconcile your unrighteous, sinful behavior back to God. Nothing in you is that good. You're going to need help. So Easter represents this week, or I, I think of it as Easter is really three days long. When Christ chose to bridge the gulf between God and his enemies. That's what Christ does on Easter. We celebrate Easter, whatever day it is in our calendar, we move it all over our calendar. But every day is Easter for Christians, every single day. Jesus chooses to bridge the gulf between God and you. Because there's a huge gulf there. We are hostile towards God, we're enemies of God, and we're evil. We don't belong with God. There is no unrighteousness in God's kingdom. None. Now I want you to think about all your thoughts you had this week. All your thoughts you had this week. Do you have any unrighteous thoughts? Don't raise your hand. Do you have any unrighteous thoughts? Mm. You don't get to go. See, he doesn't have unrighteousness in his kingdom. None. None. There's zero unrighteousness there. So you're in trouble. I had a lady flip me off yesterday. I don't, I'm like... I'm, just, I'm, pull, I'm pulling, a, pulling a trailer with a thing. I'm not racing anybody. I'm not you know, sideswiping anybody. I'm just in my lane, and she's stuck in a lane that's going to end. And, of course, she's beside me, and I'm thinking, well, she's going to slow down. She's going to slow down. She better slow down. She's going to be in the median or my trailer. You know, next thing you know, she's behind me. I'm looking in the mirror, and out the window, I'm going, hey, good to see you, too. <laughs> what in the world? I'm like, you know, how did that happen? But we had, and and I, I had some thoughts about her, you know. 
She needs to be in church. That's what I was thinking. She needs to be in church with us. So I should stop and give her real fast and give her a card and invite her to church. It's really not what I thought, but I should have thought that. If I was a strong believer, I should have thought that. Easter is the week where Christ says, I'm going to bridge the gulf. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1. If you have your physical Bible with you, please mark this passage up really strong. Colossians 1, we read a little phrase from it earlier. Now I'm going to give you the whole picture of the verse. Colossians 1.18, Christ is the head of the body. The body is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He, Christ, might be preeminent. Now don't miss that. In everything, Christ is preeminent. He is everything. He is everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When you see, Christ said, when you see me, you see my Father. I and the Father are one. All the fullness of God dwelt in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself, to reconcile All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile. If you were once alienated and hostile, raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to start over. Just making sure. Y'all ready to go eat, aren't you? Okay? We were all alienated. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Jesus died on the cross to say to God, I will wash them. I can present them to you clean. They're not clean. They're an unrighteous mess. They're an ungodly, unholy, alienated, sinful mess. But I'm not. I am pure. So I will go. And I will die and present them to you, Father. I'll present them back to you, blameless and above reproach. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's the gospel. The word reconcile means to make friends of those who once were enemies. It's a beautiful Greek word that says to remove all enmity, to leave no impedance... For unity and peace. In other words, nothing stands between me and my friends. Between us and God. When Jesus died on the cross, he's able to look at Stan, who had bad thoughts this week about a lady that was not happy with him. God can look at me and say, you know, Stan, there's nothing between us. Nothing. When I put my head on my pillow at night, Romans 5 says, I have peace with God. Pure, holy, righteous God who has no unrighteousness in any part of his kingdom. He is at peace with me because Jesus did Easter for me. He went to a cross and he paid a debt I couldn't pay. That's why Easter is so important. That's why it's so important that we explain that to everybody. God gets this really bad rap for many people today who take all of the spiritual matters of God lightly and they twist it all around and they make him this really bad God that just never ever loves which is so far from true it's ridiculous I'll prove that to you physically in a few minutes but he also gets this rap of being just a God that doesn't care and doesn't keep his word because you know everybody the Bible says all sinners you know the wage of sin is death well look at all the Old Testament people that sinned against him you know what about them how are, the, how are they 
Why, why did they get away with all that? Why did all the bad, bad people of the world get away with everything? How does that happen? Uh, so, so maybe God's not really just. Maybe he's just indifferent to it all. He's not really serious. I want you to hear this real clear. God is a just God, and he cannot ever be unjust. It's in his character to honor justice and righteousness as he deems just and righteous. And so at some point, somebody has to pay for all sin of all mankind of all time. For the Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins and the, the ISIS and for every sin, for the Stan and the Larry and the Brandons, all sins have to be paid for. And God, for God to be just, that has to happen. So Romans chapter 3, another part of your Bible I'd love for you to mark up like crazy. Romans 3, 23. Y'all know this verse very well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can we just read that top part together, just what I just read? Let's say it out loud together. Will you say it with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're in all, would you raise your hand? If you're not paying attention, okay, you're good. <laughs> all right? Now look at what it says. Being justified, that's just as if I'd never sinned, as a gift by His grace... His grace justifies of how? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus redeemed us on the cross. Now what happened? God displayed publicly Christ on the cross as a propitiation. That word means satisfaction. It's a big fancy word. It just means God was satisfied. God was satisfied in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. Now keep going. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, there were people who committed sins before the cross, and Jesus passed over them, or God passed over them. That's called Passover, by the way. And he taught the Jews how to go to the temple and sacrifice. Now, why did they have to do that? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so God's saying, look, if you will be obedient to me, he's telling his people Israel, if you'll be obedient to me and trust in this sacrifice, which is only a sample type, it's the early model, it's really not the real deal. But if you'll trust in this sacrifice, you're proving your obedience. When you trust in this sacrifice, you're proving your obedience. And by your obedience to me, I'm going to pass over your sins because one day I'm going to send the real lamb, the real the one and only Lamb, the Holy Lamb of God. And when He dies, everything's covered. And Jesus was that Lamb. He was that sacrifice. Jesus was the satisfaction of God's justice so you and I could live in eternity. Jesus was the satisfaction of God's justice so you and I could live in eternity. Jesus died for us. Okay? It's real important. Jesus died for us to save us from our sins. Many of you have heard that all your life. And that's true. He died for you to save you from your sins. You know who else he died for? God. Because God loved you. And God didn't want to be without you. He created you for his glory and in his image. And God didn't want to live in heaven without you. So Jesus died for us to save us from our sins. And he died for God to satisfy his justice and give God his glory back in his people. Jesus told his dad, I got this. 
I can redeem them. And they can be part of our family. They're a mess, by the way. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I stayed up last night and watched The Passion of Christ. I love and hate the movie all at the same time. But it reminded me so painfully of how much God loves me. To let that happen to his son. To let that happen to his one and only son. So once we were enemies... But now we're God's friends. And Christ makes it where God not just overlooks our sins, but they're actually paid for now. The debt is paid in full. So I'm going to give you a physical example of that. And I've got to borrow some people. Larry's going to come help me and Brandon and uh, Kurt and uh, Logan. I'm going to borrow you all for just a minute. Now you guys know Larry Ezel is one of our elders. He loves you all, by the way. Um, he prays for you all the time and uh, serves our church really well. And this is his one and only very impressive son, Brandon. And he loves Brandon, although they drive each other nuts sometimes. Amen? Amen. All right. And then Kurt and Logan. Kurt teaches our men's class. Does, he's doing a great job going through the art of war with our Wednesday night grow group. And I uh, want you to sign up for that, guys. If you're not in that, you need to get in that. It's a great group. Art of war. It's a good <laughs> spiritual warfare. It's a good thing. And this is his son, Logan. And he is a Sikh cadet. Is that right? Yeah, so, so I'm going to let them crucify their sons for you, okay? This is an actual nail from that time period. This is the nail from that time period. That's what it looked like. That went through our Savior's arm and through his feet, okay? So, Brandon, I'm going to just let you go first, if you will. Will you help your son up on that step? Okay, you got this wobbly, so you've got you to hold on to him. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. This is a, tr- this is a trust... Trust test right here, okay? Now, here's what I want you to imagine for a second. You guys know Larry loves Brandon. Yes? No question. He loves Brandon. But let's assume that you're in trouble. And Larry loves you. Larry's one of the shepherds of our church. And he loves you very much. And y'all are all in big, big trouble. Like, you're going to be executed. And the only way for you not to be executed... Is for him, here I'll hold the nail, you drive. Mm. It's for him, mm. his father, <laughs> to drive a nail. That's how you're going to get saved, by the way. Right? Mm. You okay with that? You okay with Brandon dying? Everybody shake your head yes. Your youth group's going, oh yeah, man, come on. <laughs> drive the nail, drive the nail. You okay with us taking Brandon's life for yours? It's just Brandon, by the way. We, we can get another one. He's our music guy. We got, we got youth. Cody, Cody will step into youth, right? We're good. Are you okay with it? Yeah. His wife somehow, his mother's a little bit freaked out. By the way, his mother's name's Mary, which is freaking, yeah, so, yeah. I almost brought Josh up here. So you have Josh, Joshua's name in Hebrew is Yeshua. His mother's name is Mary. I didn't think I could handle Josh being up here, by the way. So I gave up on that. <clears throat> So, so, you, so you love Brandon, and you love Larry, and you don't want to see that happen, right? All right, so I'm going to let them go. You're good to go, man. You lucked out. <laughs> so now I'm going to invite Logan up here. <clears throat> Just give you a di- little different take on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Working out. Yeah, you're good. I'll, I'll, you just hang for, you're going to hang from it. You're good. So I'm going to give you that nail. I'm going to give you that hammer. 
Let's just modify it a little bit, okay? Let's say that you actually hated, hated Kurt. Okay, now Kurt's, Kurt's a nice guy. He's got his issues. But he is a nice guy. Okay? But I just want you to think for a minute, if you actually hated him and despised him, and you were his enemy, you were adversarial to him every time you got a chance, you slandered his name on Facebook, you talked bad about him in your work circles, you just talked bad about him all the time, and now you're in trouble and you need him to help you. And you've alienated yourself from Kurt. And the only way you're going to get out of trouble is for him to put that nail in that boy's arm and let him die a very painful death that he doesn't deserve to die for you. That's your baby. Are you okay with that? See, I'm just, I bet you can't even do it. I bet you can't even do it. Would you, would you just as a group shout, crucify him? Can you? You can't just say it? Just tell Kurt, you're afraid Kurt's going to obey you, aren't you? <laughs> You've been bad this week? You can't even say it in here, can you? You know what we did in front of Christ? You know what we do every time we sin? Every time we sin, you know what we're doing? It's okay. Crucify him. It's okay. He paid. It's okay. He'll pay. He'll cover me. That's wrong. That's so wrong. None of us, none of us could stand to see Logan crucified today. Nobody. <laughs> He's happy about that. Except for you, maybe. Yeah. Thank y'all. Y'all thank them. So how did it happen that God became my friend? See, I'm a friend of God's. When I was in the second grade, I prayed a prayer that trusted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And he's my friend now. I don't deserve to be his friend. I don't deserve to be in his family. Because I was hostile toward him. Because I was disobedient. But he changed all that. Micah chapter 7 says these words. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. How is God going to do that? Micah, the Old Testament prophets, prophesying that God is going to tread those sins. How is he going to do that? He's going to put his son on a cross. His son whom he loved, his son whom he was honored to have, serving him on earth as the holy and righteous one. He's going to let him be crucified and executed in behalf. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. So any other dads out there want to bring your sons and pay for the sins of your neighbors or your friends? You want to bring Noah up? You want to bring little Noah up? No. Dallas? Any more dads you want you want to bring your you want to bring your sons up? Would you give your son to pay for the sins of people who hated you? No. You know how much God loves you? That's what he did. He gave his son 
to make a satisfying payment. His son was crucified because grace is real. God loves you enough to pay for your sins with his only son's blood. And three days later, Easter Sunday, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave to prove this. All things are possible. What's the biggest possibility that's just way out there? God's enemies can be his friends now. All things are possible. You are an enemy of God. And Jesus said, watch this. I'm going to die. I'm going to overcome death in the grave. I'm going to walk out of that tomb and blow that block into little pieces. Walk out of that tomb. And I am going to overcome death so that you can be my father's friend. God's friend. If you've never trusted Christ your Lord and Savior, you can't be his friend. You're still his enemy. You're still on the wrong side of the page. So I'm going to ask you with your heads bowed and eyes closed as the band comes to sing our closing couple of songs. I want you to really pray in your mind right now. Just think in your head. Are you close to God? Or is God your friend through the blood of Jesus? It's the only way to be friends with God. You can't pal around with God. I've had people tell me before, well, you know, me and God, we, we, got, a, we got a deal going. God doesn't make deals with people. His deal was at the cross. You have to trust Christ. Acts says it this way. There's no other name in heaven whereby we can be saved. No other name. You're not going to make a deal with God. You're not going to do good things and God be okay with that. You have to trust Christ. So if you've never trusted Christ, your Lord and Savior, would you do me a favor today? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Would you really... While the Holy Spirit's kind of nudging you in your heart, would you trust God enough to just say, I want to be your friend through Christ and say these words. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. You pray right there where you're seated. Pray these words if you're under conviction, if God's talking to you, if your heart's racing and your pulse is kind of up and your mind's thinking through all of, am I, am I going to be judged by God under his wrath or am I going to go to heaven? I'm just not sure. Now would be a good time to make that sure. Say these words, dear Lord Jesus. I trust in the saving work of Christ on the cross. And God, I thank you for allowing your son to pay a debt I couldn't pay and being satisfied and justifying me. Now I'm asking you to come into my heart and my life and make me the very best I can be for you. I will walk with you and live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Stan at Northside Bible Church, located in Mobile, Alabama.